Meditation. 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 Depending on the quality of my mind. You know, there's good days and bad days. I mean, I feel like the waterfall of thoughts. Every now and then, a nice calm. I can't think of anything. This is Meditation in the City. The Shambhala New York Podcast. And I'm Dave, your host. Thank you for listening yet again to the podcast. Today, we're talking about that little thing in your hand, that uh, seductive, thin little box of uh, uh, funny pictures and lights and games and notifications. We're talking about your phone, your smartphone, and the radical notion that uh, mindfulness might be able to coexist with your phone. What is that all about? Well, that is the topic of today's talk by Natalie Baker. Natalie Baker is a regular contributor to the podcast. She is a licensed psychotherapist. And this was recorded a couple of weeks ago at our weekly Dharma gathering. Visit our website, ny.shambhala.org, for all of our upcoming courses and weekend retreats. In particular, I want you to know, to make sure you know about our introductory meditation weekend program. It's called Shambhala Training Weekend One. We offer it several times a year. It's coming up next the weekend of June 29th. And it's being led by Natalie Baker, the one and only, the one you're about to hear. So uh, if you like what you hear, if you have been thinking about taking this uh, introductory weekend for a while, check it out. This is a great opportunity. NY.Shambhala.org, click the link on the homepage for Shambhala Training Weekend One. And now here is Natalie Baker, Having just uh, given an interesting twist on the meditation technique, normally everyone meditates together as a group before these talks, and, and that's what happened here. Uh, but uh, for the last couple minutes of the meditation, uh, Natalie Baker had the group meditate on their phones. Instead of using the breath as the object of meditation, uh, she had us use our phones. So that was interesting, and you'll hear that uh, exercise referred to Uh, as well as other group exercises referred to in this talk. So um, what I'd like for you to do now is to just be comfortable and allow yourself to turn inward. So if you prefer to close your eyes, please do that. Or if you want to just lower your gaze. But I want you to think about your experiences for a moment. And I'm going to ask you some questions, and you can contemplate your answers. It's always interesting to allow yourself to let something pop up as the first thought and notice what that is. So tonight we're talking about um, our smartphones and our relationship to them. And so what I would like you to think about is, I want you to think about your relationship with your phone. Do you like your phone? Do you not like your phone? Who's in charge in this relationship?
Now I want you to think about the moment before you pick up your phone. And think about, like, in general, when am I most attracted to my phone? Just sort of think about when are the times when I use it the most. And I want you to specifically to try to notice the moment before you reach for your phone. What you're thinking, what you're doing, what you might be feeling. And I want you to think about if your phone relationship is different when you're by yourself with your phone versus when you're in a public space. And lastly, I want you to think about what would my experience be like if I didn't have my phone? All those times when we use it the most, what would my experience be like if I didn't have a phone in those moments? And lastly, I want you to think about when you get completely immersed in your phone, if you do, what is that like? What's it like when you're so immersed in your phone that you lose awareness of your environment? who's around you, what you're doing. What does it feel like in those moments? Okay, thank you. You can open your eyes again. Come back to the room. So, uh, what did you notice? Anybody want to share what you noticed about yourself or what you learned in conversation? Thanks for leading us through this. It was yeah. very informative. 
Um, I found out that I'm not the only one that dislikes my phone. <laughs> and I found out that I'm not the only one that dislikes the sort of immediate nature of uh, an expectation of an immediacy nature um, that the phone, that having a cell phone sort of is culturally acceptable now. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, oh. the immediacy, the demand of immediacy. Mm -hmm. um, and that, um, it personally, it was hard to meditate on the phone as an object. Um, I found myself, I've been meditating for quite some time, you know, on a regular basis, so I found myself, like, focusing on the breath, and I was like, no, 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 I'm supposed to be focusing on the phone, and it was just like, I, I couldn't figure out how to do it. You know, I just really couldn't figure out how to do it. That's interesting, right? What do you make of that? Um, I didn't, I don't, I don't really know. It's just it, like, it brought up a lot of conflict, you know, in mm -hmm. terms of like, I should be able to do it. You know, I, why can't I, mm -hmm. you know, I can meditate on the breath. Why can't I meditate mm -hmm. on the phone? Mm -hmm. Um, you know, but it, it was, and I'm also not, um, even though I'm an interior designer, I'm not visually oriented. Mm -hmm. I'm more audio oriented and energy oriented. Mm -hmm. So that was also, so it was, mm -hmm. you know, that was yet another, I knew that aspect of myself. Mm -hmm. So that's why it was equally hard to meditate on the phone mm -hmm. as a visual object. Mm -hmm. Great, thank you. <laughs> and mine just went off. <laughs> right here. Hi. Um, well, we had a very interesting conversation. I forgot your name. Angela, okay. Um, and I think what really resonated with me, or scared me a little bit, actually, <laughs> is uh, that, I mean, I'm having a lot of uh, back pain right now because I'm working way too much. I've uh, just got a lot going on, so I'm working like 15-hour days on the computer wow. and the, you know, so the, and I realized um, from something Angela said that she feels like anxiety using the phone. I'm like, hmm, well, that's probably, you know, my, I know my pa pain is connected to use of technology, so it's like, it, it's because I am, you know, working too much, so I am anxious. Mm -hmm. So I'm bringing the emotion to the activity. Mm -hmm. So it's this double <laughs> negative mm -hmm. of technology plus, you know, mm -hmm. too much stress um, mm -hmm. in trying to work. And um, and that sort of I I I've saw the same thing like with texting because I re I hate texting. I hate it. And so mm -hmm. <laughs> lots of people like to have long conversations by text, and I realize. Hmm, maybe my, you know, communication with those people isn't so great because I'm forced into communicating via the medium that I hate. <laughs> you know? mm -hmm. um, so it's just a, an interesting, um, yeah, mm -hmm. connections. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yes, thank you. What what else? What what are other things people noticed? When we were meditating with it, just you know, as an object, I think the nice thing that happened was that it just became an object. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I was like, it's just plastic and glass and it doesn't really have any significant meaning. I've given it meaning, mm -hmm. um, other, whether it be because somebody else insists I do or because I think that I have to. Um, so that was, kind of, that was kind of nice. It kind of was a moment where I could not, not be attached to it. So. Right. Yeah. Right. We register what we project onto it. When you asked who was in charge, 
Um, I immediately went, well, of course, I'm in charge, but then very, very rapidly I realized that I'm really not in charge. Mm -hmm. That was, I guess I kind of knew it, but it was a little humiliating, I think. <laughs> I think there's also another way to ask the question, because uh, on the one hand, there's this piece of hardware that we have with us. On the other hand, is like the app that does the, or does not do things, and often it's the network behind the app, right? Um, so there's two separate questions, but um, my, my general comment with technology, it's like it's grown faster than our society could really assimilate it mm -hmm. and thoughtfully think of the pluses and minuses. And also the business model of many companies is addiction, mm -hmm. including the most the bigger players there, Facebook and whatever, you know, I want to get you hooked. And um, I know people who work on <laughs> Facebook, by the way, yeah. and, you know. Um, and um, it's like, uh, you, you see what's the latest, They're like, hey, did you notice what X said? And I'm thinking, well, I'm, I'm not really thinking in those terms, right? And the, the app maybe realizes that I haven't been on Facebook for a while. I mean, I have a very... Um, minimal use of that, you know, and says, hey, okay, come here, you know, your friend said something interesting. There's like, they make this, uh, the designers put this kind of massive effort into getting us hooked. Aha, uh -huh. and what right? do you think hooks you? To, to, to using it, right. right? But what is it that's the hook? Like, what, um, what makes you go, oh, yeah. Well, you know, uh, the, the thing is, you know, you can start with, I mean, the, the way this is designed, you can start with a little notification. Oh, look, I have an email. By someone that I actually do, uh, but someone I've singled out, okay? And then while you're in the middle of doing something totally different, mm -hmm. or maybe just enjoying a subway ride, the little notification invites you to, to press it. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the lure is very tangible. It's in the, whatever the pop ups, you know, hey, mm -hmm. remember there's Facebook there. You haven't mm -hmm. visited for a while, you know, right. come back, come back in. Right. So, you know, the whole model yes. is, is. And what is it though? I mean, we could have something pop up that we aren't attracted to, right? So what is it that, that makes us behave? What gets us engaging? There's a gentleman yeah. at the back. I don't want to, to pronounce here, but... He wants to say something yeah, yeah. about this. No? Yeah, yeah, sure, you, you could join in. <clears throat> it's funny that um, you called me. I was thinking that what gets us drawn in, it ties into what I was about to say because I was going to ask you a question. Um, what, what does the phone represent, really? I mean, it represents, like, a connection to something. So it's like everybody wants that connection. But it's weird because I want to ask you a question. I'm trying to formulate it right. How, how do you find the middle way when everybody wants that connection? They want that phone. But when we're faced with one another, we're afraid to connect. And how do you find the middle way with the attachment aspect to it? Right. Excellent question, right? How do we... We all crave connecting. And, and I assume the connecting with is connecting with other humans. Maybe it's cute animals that are doing snuggling with 
other species of cute animals. That seems to be a theme these days, right? But, and then to notice when we do actually get face to face with somebody, right? <gasps> now all of a sudden we're terrified, right? It's very perverted, the whole setup, right? We're longing to connect, but then we're also terrified to connect. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna, I'll come back to that. I have more to say, but I'm curious to hear what all of you noticed. Uh, I was gonna go back to your last question, like what is it that draws mm -hmm. you in so mm -hmm. much? And uh, the first thing that came to my mind was fear of missing out. Mm. Like there's, right. there's something going on and I'm not a part of it. I don't right. know about it. And I think the phone is really designed that way to like beep at you all the time. You know, mm -hmm. can I, can this app send you notifications and like, what are they going to be? Right. Um, so. what, what will happen to us if we miss out? There's an answer right behind you here. So I love this conversation. <laughs> the people who designed these things, this is a straight addiction model. This is like straight dopamine into your brain, like, like. Right, and you get habituated, you're a crack addict, and I'm a crack addict too. But what I did last summer, um, I was going on retreat, and I really didn't want to be getting lots and lots of stuff, but I wanted to be able to get a few things. Mm -hmm. Like if my cat sitter needed to get in touch with me, right? Mm -hmm. So I turned off all the notifications, like all of them, and I just didn't turn them back on. Oh. I never unsilence my phone. It's usually actually on like, you know, the doesn't even vibrate mode. Mm. I don't take it into my bedroom. And it's now just a tool that I use sometimes. I'm wow. still a crack addict. So you disempowered it. But it's so it. much better. Uh -huh. Yeah, because it's not always like going, come back, come back. Mm -hmm. Here, oh wait, you got a like. Your photo's mm -hmm. awesome. You're good. You're really good now. You know what I mean. Great, thank you. Yes, this lady over here. I've turned off the notifications, but where I get sucked in are the inane games, two in particular, which I won't name. Um, but I think for me, it's like, it's a validation that I'm good and I'm smart and I can do things and I get rewards and I get badges. <laughs> and I can see how I compare to my friends on Facebook, yeah. which I never use, but yeah. Yeah, that's a nice feeling, right? Being rewarded, being confirmed, being absorbed in the moment, right? When you're playing the game. Mm-hmm. I'd like to contrast that with a feeling of uh, an ill feeling of nausea and headaches after being absorbed in a small screen for too long at a time and your, your vision is really um, very focused and you don't notice anything around you anymore and it doesn't right. really make me feel all that well. Right. And are you um, able to put the phone down oh, when you notice that? Oh, then I put the that? phone down, yeah. Oh, you can. Uh, but I come back to it. After oh, 10 right. minutes, it dissipates and I'm back. Um, right. Yes. Yeah, like an addiction. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I just actually read a study that it um, increases uh, GABA production, which is a neurotransmitter, 
which um, when you have too much uh, GABA, your brain waves slow down, and which makes you tend towards more anxiety and also um, poor executive functioning skills. So, you know, I mean, there's definitely enough brain studies out there to show that it lights up the pleasure center in the same way like cocaine does. Now we have the, it actually increases neurotransmitters, so the, ke the chemicals that you produce um, in your brain. Hmm. But there's, there's more to it actually um, than the actual physical addiction part of it. Which, um, so I wanted to read a, a, a little section from Shambhala's Sacred Path of the Warrior, which is Trungpa Rinpoche. Um, this is the, so the Shambhala training series, the weekend meditations, they're um, conceptually, uh, the framework is uh, the Shambhala teachings. And so if you're curious about Shambhala, this is a good starting point, this book. Um, so Trungpa Rinpoche, in talking about um, how we become habituated, right? And in this context, we're talking about almost addicted or, or being addicted, especially like, you know, when you, when you see somebody, which I did the other day, walking down 11th Street, in the middle of the street, facing the oncoming traffic, looking down at his phone, I was like, here is proof that it is a highly addictive substance because he's now engaged in behavior that could seriously harm him, right? So, you know, we don't have to actually look very far to see how seductive it is on a physiological level, like other addictive substances. But there's also how it connects with our psychology and our spiritual path. So Trungpa talks about this concept called cocoon. And cocoon is, well, I'm just going to read this and then I'll say something. When we are afraid of waking up, and afraid of experiencing our own fear, we create a cocoon to shield ourselves from the vision of the great eastern sun. We prefer to hide in our personal jungles and caves. Doesn't that sound like the apps on your phone? <laughs> when we hide from the world in this way, we feel secure. We may think that we have quieted our fear, but we are actually making ourselves numb with fear. We surround ourselves with our own familiar thoughts so that nothing sharp or painful can touch us. We are so afraid of our own fear that we deaden our hearts. So that is the danger from a spiritual point of view of 
going down this path of cocooning, if we turn it into a verb, right? And kind of what Steve Jobs figured out, right, was that you can take this aspect of our minds, right, what he's describing, which is our discomfort with relating with our own fears, our own minds, and you can project it out into a device. Right? And, you know, they do those studies of like Facebook, right? And how we create this perfectly curated, and they help us create this perfectly curated, you know, stream so that we can, you know, have our little worlds reflected back to us. But of course, it doesn't fully work, right? And so many stories of people like seeing someone's photo on Instagram or Facebook and feeling jealous, feeling left out, feeling angry, feeling hurt. Right? So even our desires to create this little mirror doesn't actually keep the pain out fully. So what to do? <laughs> Are we all just doomed to suffocate in our phone cafoons? <laughs> Create a new word there. So the good news the good news is there is some part of ourselves, right, that goes, maybe I could turn off these notifications. Maybe I could put the phone down. Feels scary to do that, right? If you think about, like, when you were contemplating not having your phone, was that a, oh, great, I can just stand here waiting for the subway, just stare out into the space. Most of us feel some sense of relief, right, when we can distract ourselves with our phones. And that, in the Shambhala tradition, is what we get curious about. Hmm, what, why do we need to distract ourselves? What, what's wrong with what's happening in the present? It's not enough? No, it's not enough, right? That's the feeling. But interestingly, all of you have decided to come here sit on a meditation cushion and do nothing. So why is that? Like, what inspires you to meditate? Why, why do you think that's a good idea? You can just shout out any good or bad reason. Living in your 
overstimulated. Shut down the sensory overload. And then what do we experience? Calm. Oh, to get to know yourself deeper. Is that a good idea? <laughs> right? <laughs> well, ignore. <laughs> right? So we definitely, you know, on the one hand, kind of want to get to know ourselves better, but on the other hand, we're kind of deeply ambivalent about that as well. Like, what are we going to find out about ourselves? Are we really worth anything? I tend to try to have the experience of something before it actually happens. Mm. So meditation helps me to realize that that's what I'm doing and that I really need to, when I'm in the experience, I'll figure out what it is that I need to do rather than trying to figure it out before I'm in the experience. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right, so to have your mind and body more synchronized so that you're experiencing whatever as it's arising rather than being in the future, in the past. That's usually where our minds hang out, right? Not in the present moment. No, 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 no. No, because we got to think about that thing in the future or correct that thing from the past. So part of our challenge is that we lack confidence. We lack confidence in our present moment isness, our being. Constantly doubting whether we're enough. So in that uh, quote from Trump Rinpoche, he mentioned, um, we create a cocoon to shield ourselves from the vision of the great eastern sun. That guy. <clears throat> what does that mean? So vision is our inspiration, it's our aspiration. It's our spiritual fuel, you could say. Right? Our normal habitual fuel is what? What do we usually use to fuel ourselves, to get ourselves going? Frustration. Frustration, what else? Anxiety, fear, right? Fear, oh, I gotta get that thing done, right? That is our normal like, fuel that we use. And what Trump Rinpoche is offering in the Shambhala teachings is that we could actually have a different fuel for our lives. And this could be something called the Great Eastern Sun. You know what it's like when you're in like a really stuffy hot room and then somebody opens the window and all of a sudden Mm, that cool air comes in and you're like, ah. Right? Or you've been in a hot house and you step outside 
and it's really cold and just like that first moment, it's like crisp. That's the great eastern sun. Putting your phone down is an expression of the great eastern sun. Just, just standing there. Everybody else around you is like, hey, right? and you just go, you're just there in the room. Because what is that communicating? Right? So there's the, the sensory experience of it, right? But then there's also the psychological aspect. And what is that? What, what allows us to come and sit on the meditation cushion? Or to put our phones down and say, hi, I'm so-and-so. What's that an expression of? Any guess? Basic goodness. But what's that? What's, uh, you inherited it? No, inherited. But, what, but what is that basic goodness? And what allows you to register that as true? Like outside of it being like, well, like conceptually sounds good, right? I like that. But, but what is it, the experience that allows you to trust that? The first thing is the curiosity of it. Mm-hmm. And then the second thing is, is once um, I have that experience that everything's okay, then it's like, oh, What's that going to, and then, you know, I get lost somewhere else, and then I'm, I get curious about it again, and I know that I had sort of a, for lack of a better word, victory the first time, you know, then it's like, oh, let's see if that happens again, you know, and then it does, and over mm-hmm. time, it just, you know, I get to feel a sense of calmer and more present and more here, and I'm aware of that, you know, I'm really here for what's going on at the moment, rather than thinking about something else. And what about your basic badness? <laughs> well, that, that happens a lot too. <laughs> right? That's what we're grappling with. What do we make of the fear? Right? Because we habitually act out the fear. Right? And that's that cocoon. Right? That's that ob- obsession with the phone and saying yes to the your friend had an excited response to something. Find out what it was, right? Yes? but everybody has an individual attachment to the object. So I don't necessarily think like we all have to put our phone down in public to, to be a certain way. I think, you know, it's a personal experience for everyone their own attachment to the phone, I do think like taking the time to have awareness is the antidote. Mm. 
Mm -hmm. And what allows you to take the time to have awareness? Like what, what makes you go, yeah, that's a good idea? Well, it's, again, it's individual. Right, but I'm saying for you. Oh, for me, I mean, I mean meditating allows me to become aware of my own um, habituations and attachments and going on retreats, putting down my phone and realizing the attachment in itself. But, um, but yeah, it's like an individual process, I think. And mm -hmm. it doesn't necessarily bring me fear anymore. And I don't know if everybody has fear with their phone. Mm -hmm. Right. That's right. Not everybody has fear with their phone. And there's another, actually, I'm glad you brought up attachment, right? Because it also reveals something else, which is that there is this attachment principle. Right, that, it becomes like an extension of ourselves, the phone mm -hmm. sometimes, and this personal gratification we get from the notifications and the identifying with it. And I think it's just, again, it's that... Well, that was my experience. Mm -hmm. So it's, yeah. it's knowing that and being aware of it. And then how can you use that healthily? Like how can technology and the phone and the internet be used for a positive? Because there's so many positives to what we have. Right, too. right. How do we actually create the conditions that we're making a choice and a choice that reflects what's positive <coughs> as opposed to acting out our fear, which seems to be part of our experience with our phones. But the, uh, the bigger principle here is actually attachment, which is that fear is a big manifestation of noticing that, boy, we get glued to things, right? It's also our thoughts, right? Wow, I really cannot let this thought go. Sometimes it's a fearful thought, but sometimes it's actually a very pleasant thought, right? And we'll notice that, oh, we're actually not making a choice. We're attached, very attached. And how do we create choice? Is that possible? What do you think? Yes. Yes, thank you for making this uh, comment because I feel that ultimately the problem is not in the iPhone, it's in our, or the phone, it's in our mind, right? And if we had this session, you know, 50 years ago, maybe we'd be talking about ice cream, you know, or, you mm -hmm. know, the, we always have something to, of course, we don't, carry ice cream with us in our pocket, you know, there's a, but, you know, I'm thinking, you know, um, how do people feel about, uh, you know, uh, you see people on the subway and they read books. Are books bad because of that? I mean, w the person choosing to read a book instead of noticing around them, that's a very personal choice and may not be compulsive. It may be that, you know, I did the logistics and I spend uh, 90 minutes on the subway every day. And the one part of that to be to involve some reading. Now, as it happens, I do 90% of all my Dharma reading books on my iPhone because it's convenient, you know. Mm -hmm. I don't need to carry a bookcase around, you know. I have it on my iPhone, so you know, I'm, I have the Shambhala book on my iPhone. So, 
when I'm on the train, there's one thing to say, okay, now I have those 20 minutes and um, since I'm following this or that program, you know, contentment in everyday life or whatever, you know, and there's this weekly reading, I'm going to do it on my iPhone, right? rather than to choose to close the door in my room and do it in my, in my desk. So, so again, I think technology is, we can reflect on how, how, we, how we can actually uh, use it for uh, our growth rather than for the growth of the Facebook corporation. Mm -hmm. You know, there's uh, those two forces competing out right. there and they're not necessarily, yeah. you so know. Uh, one of the points being made is that we're, we're not talking about an inherent evil mm -hmm. and we're not making a moral judgment here, but it's more about examination of our experience and on the spiritual path, we're particularly interested in whether or not we're actually present to our experience. Do we have choice? Do we have awareness of what we're doing? What's motivating us, right? Are we motivated by our fear? are we actually able to sit with our fear and develop a relationship with it? Because, you know, the whole punchline, if you didn't already know, which you probably do, is that there's nothing fundamentally wrong with us. We just don't know that. And the more we believe our felt experience that's arising, whether it's passion, aggression, fear, and just go into action on those emotions, the more we're caught in confusion. The more we're caught in weaving a tighter and tighter web trying to protect ourselves. But the whole point that the Buddhist lineage and the Shambhala lineage in particular is making is that we, we don't have to do that, actually. We can connect with people even though we're terrified to say hello to somebody that we don't actually have to let our fear be in charge of our behavior. It's funny because every time I come here, I, I'm mixed with like a whole bunch of emotions all at once. It's so weird. Because I, I, I asked the question and I was wondering when you were going to answer it and I was getting kind of upset about it. <laughs> but then as I raised my hand, Julia came in and, and then you answered it. But I think that I don't know. I don't know if I should answer or pose a question. Well, why um, don't you answer the question? You can pose it and then answer it. All right. So the question I was going to ask is, what it like? What you just asked everybody here? Why do people come here to meditate? What's the purpose in all this? Mm -hmm. And I think the answer is to be around each other and to experience that goodness that you just talked about. What this man over there stated about mm -hmm. the innate goodness of everybody and that the fear and all that other stuff is just illusionary. Or mm -hmm. did I use the right word? Illusionary? Yep, that all sounds right. pretty good. All right, so yeah, that's all it really is. That's all. It, that's all it ever is. 
I mean, it's, it's simple. It's not really complicated. And we just make it complicated because mm -hmm. we choose to because we're brought up that way. And it's right. like a cycle, cyclic type of thing that we do all the time. But bad karma runs out. Time is timeless. We did this before. This yes. Well said. One of my first thoughts when you had us break up into groups was that, well, I used other things to distract, to hide in books on the subway so that I wouldn't have to interact with people, you know, and that the, the phone hasn't added to, you know, it, it, but, but the part that you mentioned about uh, how they entice you increases my natural predilection for escape, mm -hmm. for, not, for be, you know, handling my fear. Though for me, that's mainly been the news, the constant refresh button on the news versus so, social media, but that I didn't have before. So that's mm -hmm. added something extra and taken away more time from just standing and just noticing mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. myself and people. And so, but so it's, the, mm -hmm. it's the, where the corporations work to addict you that has increased my time. Because I was doing it with other things. Right, yeah. right. Yeah. yeah, I mean that, uh, I mean that propensity to distract ourselves has existed since the time of the Buddha, right? That's not new. What's new is the intensity of the, you know, seductive object, right? And it's very interesting, you know, I mean, if you look at drugs today, right, the opioid crisis, right? It's a, an addictive substance at the level that we've never experienced before. So, you know, we also have to appreciate that um, we have our basic struggle to wake up from our fear, wake up from our distraction. That, that moment that we wake up and we just allow ourselves to be present, that's, that's the Great Eastern Sun principle. Like, nope, it's actually okay to be here. It's okay. I'm afraid, but it's okay. I can just be here. And start to experience the world through our sense perceptions. So then we could ask, well, why, who cares? What's so sacred about your sense perceptions? Well, that's how we communicate with the world in the present moment. And the path, so, you know, what the teachers say to us in the wisdom lineage is that wisdom actually um, doesn't come from distraction. That we have to let go of being asleep. And when we let go of being asleep, we find that we are awake. Very simple, right, as that gentleman said. So we're letting go of being asleep. And we might notice that we're terrified. And then we tolerate that, and we don't believe it as true and meaningful and accurate. 
And then we walk up to the person and we say hello. Even though we feel fear. Or whatever we do that we think is of benefit, as you said, right? Which may include getting on our phone and texting a friend and saying, hey, I miss you, do you want to meet for coffee? So it's a path of wakefulness. And the key is that it's, it's allowing ourselves to interrupt the dream. We don't actually have to do anything once we're awake. It's simple, but it's mm, soupy. Because we're very, very habituated to distraction conceptualization of our, dis our distraction manifests is a lot of thoughts. And to find our immediate experience, which is separate from our thoughts. That's what we're doing when we're practicing meditation. And, and for a long time, it's a struggle of like really allowing ourselves to relax to not strive so much and to rest in our sensory experience. So we have to make it very unambitious. How's that sound? <laughs> well, thank you all for coming. We can um, awkwardly say hello around the food if you'd like to join me. <laughs> Hang on, I've just got to send this text. Okay, good. Wow, thank you, Natalie Baker. And thank you all for listening. That was a great discussion, I have to say. Visit our website, nymbala.org, for all of our upcoming courses and weekend retreats. Again, Natalie Baker is teaching our introductory meditation weekend it's called Shambhala Training Weekend One, and it's happening the weekend of June 29th. You can read more about it and register by clicking the link on the homepage. Email us at podcast at shambhalanyc.org. Your questions, comments, suggestions. If you live in a different city, there's probably a Shambhala Meditation Center near you. Look us up. But if you are in the New York City area, our weekly Dharma gathering is every Tuesday night. Come, you can hear these talks live and in person. And uh, it's a good time, a good opportunity to sit in a room with a bunch of other people without checking your phone. Later.